is a special broadcast of Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new L.A. Zocalo, which means public square in Spanish, is an independent, eclectic, nonpartisan, multi-ethnic forum providing an opportunity for intellectual fellowship in Southern California. In tonight's program, author and journalist Tamar Jacoby discusses Fixing America's Immigration System. She shares her experience of reporting from the border and her insider connection with the D.C. Beltway. She'll talk about the nation's need to reassert control of the border and reestablish the rule of law and her plea of a more generous and practical immigration policy. Immigration, as most of you know if you're reading the newspaper, is heating up to be one of the top tier issues in the 2006 elections. Um, I had a little taste of this intensity and ferment myself a couple of weeks ago. I and some others organized a series of focus groups in Dallas, Texas. Now these were meant to be Republican conservative voters who thought immigration should either remain the same or be decreased. Um, basically, skeptics of immigration, to say the least. And I don't disrespect these people. Um, this is an important voice in America. This is where the immigration debate is taking place on the right. These are the people we have to win. But I'll tell you, I sat behind those two-way mirrors, and it was one of the ugliest and most depressing evenings I have ever spent. There was somebody behind the two-way mirror who was almost in tears. These people were pounding on the table, um, using their little version of you know, church-going people swear words. Um, they're here for the free food. They're here for the free housing. They're here for the free hospital care. They don't want to be legal. Um, people even questioning, do we as America want to remain a nation of immigrants? Um, when we talked about what should happen to the illegal immigrants already here, and we said, well, should we be deporting them? They said things like, start in my house. Yes, yeah, start looking for them in my house. Let's deport them. Now, let's, that's one reality, and it is really a reality out there. Now, let's contrast it with another reality. There are more foreign-born people in America today, more foreign-born people arriving every year than have ever arrived at any time in our history. There are more than 11 million undocumented or illegal immigrants here in the country already. 11 million, that's the size of many states. I think it's Michigan is the state that comes closest. 8 million people, illegal immigrants, in the workforce. And that's about a third of the immigrant population, the undocumented. Um, many industries in America depend on these workers. Agriculture, food processing, hospitality, construction, most of them would go out of business, literally collapse if there were no immigrant workers. In in agriculture, people estimate that between half and 70% of the workforce doesn't have papers. Dependence, who's going to rebuild New Orleans? Great piece in the LA Times, we wouldn't be rebuilding it if there weren't immigrant workers. And besides that, it's not just an economic reality of the immigration in America today. Look around us in Los Angeles, the vitality, the cultural richness. It's a reality, like it or not, it's a reality, immigration in America today. So how do we reconcile these two realities? We've got the reality of the people in Dallas who think they're here for the free food and want to get rid of them as soon as they can, and the reality of a bigger immigrant influx than we've ever had and that we depend on in many ways. What are we going to do about that as a country? How are we going to reconcile those two things? Which way America, you might ask? 
Well, the, my argument tonight is that actually there is a way to square this circle um, in order to remain a nation of immigrants. If we don't square the circle, this upset amongst these people in Dallas and the other people like them is going to mean that we won't be able to remain a nation of immigrants. They will demand that we seal the borders and we stop bringing people. So the stakes are very high, um, but I believe, difficult as it is, that the circle can be squared. So the first thing to grasp, and I've hinted at this a little bit already, Immigration today isn't just a luxury. It isn't just something that we kind of like. It's nice. It brings cultural richness. Um, it's not just about cheap labor. Um, this is essential. This is now part of our economy. Our economy would collapse without these people coming to do work in America now. Um, most immigrants come to work, legal and illegal. If you're going to be unemployed, you don't get welfare. Ill illegal immigrants get no welfare, and even legal immigrants get very, very little in the way of government services. I try to stay away from statistics, but the one statistic that's worth remembering about immigration is that in 1960, half of all American men dropped out of high school and went into the unskilled labor force. Half. Today, under 10% drop out of high school and go into the unskilled labor force. So we need people to do the jobs that those people used to do. Um, meanwhile, even as our population is getting older and the workforce is getting smaller, baby boomers are retiring, paradoxically enough, in the knowledge economy, we actually need more people to do unskilled work than we used to do. Meatpacking is the great example. Meatpacking used to be a job for skilled people. They called them knife men, and they made $20 an hour, and they carved up the carcass, the whole carcass. Now, because of automation and because of competition from abroad, the meatpacking industry is totally restructured. Now the conveyor belt goes by, and one guy makes a chop, at, the same guy stands there and makes the same chop in every carcass, and then it passes on to the next guy, and that's a $5.15 an hour job. So our workforce is shrinking, getting more skilled, more educated. Our needs are in many industries getting less skilled despite the high-end stuff that most of us do. And the companies that use unskilled labor that can move out of the country are moving for that very reason. Look at electronics assembly or a lot of the garment manufacturing. If you need unskilled workers, chances are you have a hard time finding them here, and if you can move, you move. Agriculture, food processing that's dependent on agriculture, hospitality, healthcare, construction, they can't go anywhere. I mean, agriculture can and, and will if we don't have enough immigrant labor here and the food processing dependent on it. But you know, you can't move your busboy, you can't move your construction. Even more important than that, in these industries, immigrants keep American workers employed. If you're in my business, you hear this story day after day. This is a story somebody told on the floor of the Senate. I have 100 Mexican workers. I can't find anybody else to do that painstaking work of picking the crabs out of the shells. But those 100 Mexican workers keep another 100 American workers employed in the office. The accountants, the managers, the other kinds of people. And the fact that the company stays open means that the restaurant in town where the tourist business depends depends on people coming to eat crab, keeps those restaurants open. And that keeps Anglo teenage kids working in the summer. Um, it's a few foreign workers are keeping a lot of Americans employed in companies that are growing and companies that stay in America as a result of the immigrant workers. Now, we could decide, we could look at this picture, we could say we need these workers, there's a flow now, there's an integrated international labor market where there are workers available to do this work we need done and they come here. We could say, well, gee, it does look really important, it does look vital, but we could forego it. If we really wanted to, we could say forget it. We could say let's forego that extra 
I don't know what it would be, 1% GMP growth a year? You know, we'll, we'll let agriculture move to Brazil. We'll make higher wages for construction workers so Americans that are now going into better jobs stay in construction and the economy doesn't grow the way it could. The problem is that there's not just the economic cost, the kind of policing that it would take to cut the links that we have now, it would really be a police state. I mean, we could enforce it. We could put, you know, electric fencing and machine guns and stops in every raids in businesses and national ID. I mean, we could say no to this, but I don't think either of those costs would be worth it. So in, in a way, I think the new reality is a kind of inevitability. It's like the, the sun shining or the river flowing. This is the reality of modern existence in a more integrated world. And sure, we could say no to it. We could say, let's go back to, to a pre 21st century time, but I don't think the cost of that would be worth it. So what do we do if we got the reality of this inevitability, our inevitable need for these workers, the inevitable connections now to the sending countries, the reality of this flow, what do we do about it? Well, right now we're basically in denial. About a million and a half people come every year to work in America. We give visas to two-thirds of that number. That means that there's an inevitable spillover of about a half a million illegal workers every year. And we just pretend basically now, we pretend they're not coming. But the costs of that pretending are enormous. And if they're not just costs for these workers, they're costs for us as Americans. First of all, we have no control over our border. About a half a million people walk across every year. We've done no background checks on them. We don't know who the heck they are. They're just walking across. Security in the age of 9-11, I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable cost to be paying. Number two, whole industries where the companies depend on international smuggling cartels to get the workers they need to keep their businesses open. I mean, in America in the 21st century, whole companies depending on international smugglers to get their workers. I mean, some of you probably know this in California. It's, it's becoming like prohibition era in some of these states. Arizona, shootouts among the smuggling gangs on the highway with automatic weapons, car chases and car wrecks and safe houses and kidnappings and extortion and, and murders. Growing crime that goes with all this illegality. We're talking again about a half a million people smuggled into the country every year. Meanwhile, what does this do to the rule of law in the country? Eroding our sense of the rule of law. Well, that law doesn't matter. Well, that's corrosive after a while. And again, this isn't we're not talking about bad for the immigrants at the moment, we're talking about bad for America. And not to mention the costs for American workers, because when the guy working next to you isn't legal and is afraid to bargain, he does have to take a subpar wage, and that drags your wages down. So the costs of this denial are bad for everyone, for the, for the immigrants, for the American workers working next to them, and for the country as a whole. That's what we're doing now, is denial. The other choice is to recognize this reality and get a grip on it. Not to open our borders, not to say that we're not going to have any control, but to think of a, of a way to recognize the reality and then control the reality. Now, what would that mean, control the reality? Well, the first reaction is, well, let's just put some more men on the border. One of these people in Dallas, it was an unforgettable line, let's, let's put a, a guard tower and shoot five or six and that will deter some, the rest from coming. I mean, we could just crack down and it doesn't have to go there. We could just spend more money on more border guards, more fence, more cops, more workplace raids. Well, the truth is we've tried that for the past 15 years or so. We've tripled the number of men on the border in the past 15 years. We've multiplied by 10 how much we spend on their budget. And guess what? No dent. Same number of people come now that came when we started that in the early 90s. No dent from this enforcement buildup. So sure, I mean, you could say, well, 
well, we haven't done enough. But what I would argue is that this is a situation like prohibition, where we are trying to enforce unrealistic limits. And it takes a lot of cops to enforce an unrealistic limit. Think about prohibition or think about a 25 mile an hour speed limit on the interstate. How many cops would you need to take? How many state troopers to make everybody slow down to 25 miles an hour on the interstate? Well, that's what we're trying to do. That is very hard. That takes a lot of men on the border and a lot of money. Raise the speed limit to something more realistic. Raise our immigration quotas to something more in line with our labor needs and it would be much easier to enforce. Again, going back to the prohibition analogy, it'd be like liquor licenses and import laws. We control drinking and alcohol very effectively now. Doesn't take, you know, whatever we used to have in the Al Capone era. That's what immigration could become. Not no controls, we will need controls, but more realistic and forcible laws and then controls to make those laws stick. So that's kind of the solution, and this solution is emerging in Washington as a kind of consensus solution. And I don't know too many issues like this, but this consensus stretches pretty much from President Bush to Senator Kennedy, with a lot of people in between that are surprising. There's President Bush, there's Senator McCain, there's some tougher, more conservative senators are coming around to this idea of let's recognize this reality and deal with it with more realistic and forcible laws. I mean, one of the smartest things anybody ever told me about immigration was a border patrol guard I was driving around with in Arizona, and it was, you know, late at night, and we'd been driving for a couple of hours, and we were out in the middle of the Arizona desert, and the full moon was rising, I kid you not, and we were, like, looking for, you know, people crossing the desert that he was going to catch, because he was starting to tell me how frustrating the job was. And at one point, he looked at me, and he said, but tomorrow, you don't understand, I'm caught in the middle. We make our immigration laws to keep one side happy, to keep those people in Dallas happy, and then we don't enforce them to keep the other side happy. And those are the people who all of us benefit from the workers. So that nudge, nudge, wink, wink, where the quotas are so unrealistically low, and we all know we're kind of nudge, nudge, wink, winking about them, let's replace that with realistic limits and then make them stick, really enforce them and make them stick. So this will, this will mean a tougher system because we're not going to be nudge, nudging, wink, winking anymore. We're going to create realistic laws and make them stick a new airtight system. So that's going to take three components. Um, what I sometimes call a virtual fence. We do have to get tough about enforcement. We have to mean it. But we also have to have a legit way for businesses to hire workers. Guest worker program. Guest worker program big enough so that all these businesses that use these laborers can get the labor they need and don't have to use the smuggling cartels. So you create the legit way to hire people. Then you enforce the heck out of those new rules, and that will mean more men on the border, and it will mean more enforcement in the workplace. Maybe you'll have to swipe a card to prove that you actually are a legit worker in your workplace, like a card, you know, it could be your driver's license, your social security card, but some kind of enforcement in the workplace. And then tough fines for, for employers who violate the law. But once they've got the legitimate way to get the workers they need, there's no reason not to be really tough about making sure they use those ways and not other ways. And believe me, most employers would rather go a legit way. You think um, most employers would rather be worrying? Are they going to farmers in Yuma, Arizona or here in California be worrying? Are we going to get the workers we need this month because the Border Patrol might be cracking down? Not remotely. It's no accident that the industries that, that use this labor are at the forefront of lobbying for change in Washington. And they will be willing to put up with tougher enforcement if they can get the workers they need. But meanwhile, we'll smoke out the bad employers who do want to have dirt cheap labor and, and get away with it. So legal channels, a legit way to hire your workers, 
tough enforcement, a virtual fence, you can think of it as. And then, okay, the hard question, what do we do about the 11 million undocumented people already here? Well, never mind being nice to them. Just for our sake as a country, you, we're not going to build a new airtight legal system on top of 11 million illegal people. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. The people who are using those undocumented workers now would, will stick with them. They won't say, well, get rid of that guy who's been working for me for five years and hire some new guy that they just brought for our economic sake, for our security sake. We now have 11 million people in this country whose names we don't know, who we've never run a background check on. Economic sake, security sake, um, rule of law sake, We've got to bring these people in out of the shadows in order to create this new airtight system. So it's no accident that all the plans from President Bush to, to Senator Kennedy have these three components. Some kind of guest worker program, some kind of tougher new enforcement, and something for the 11 million. Some way to help them make a transition to legality. Now exactly what that's going to look like when we eventually pass it into law, we don't know yet. That's what a lot of the fighting is going to be about. But those three pillars are part of every plan. And they all do include the illegal ones will have a way to come legally, and there'll be tougher enforcement to go with it. So that's how I propose we square this circle, because what that delivers for the people in Dallas is the control they want. That delivers the legality they want. Even these people in Dallas, after they thought about it for a while, kind of realized, well, gee, you know, I've used these people to mow my lawn. What the people in Dallas want is they want to get it back under control. They want to feel that we're in control of the border. What bugs them about immigrants, and they're wrong, that this is not the truth of immigrants, but what really bugs them is they're breaking the law. They think the rules don't apply to them. Well, the truth is most immigrants would rather come legally. Let's give them a way to come legally, and that that will satisfy these people in Dallas. So this is the way to have the immigrants and the legality, the immigrants and the control, the prosperity and the security. Um, you know, I, I often say it's one thing to ask the American people to accept a million and a half foreign workers in their midst every year, to accept also, at the same time, guaranteed illegality in their workplaces and their communities? I don't think so. That just is a no-brainer. That's not a reasonable request. But it is a reasonable request to say we need these workers to keep the economy going. Let's find a legit way to do it. Not only that, but the added benefit, all the problems that, that bug people in places like Southern California and Arizona and other border states, the service problem, this is a way to deal with that. Right now, these people are coming to work. We're pretending they're not coming. So of course we're not making provision for how will they, how, what kind of health insurance will they get? What will this, how will their kids get educated? Do we have enough teachers? No wonder they're overcrowding the schools. We're pretending they're not here. Well, once we recognize that we're here and we have a legit program, we can ask them to pay a fee that goes into a health insurance pool. And we can ask the federal government to make sure that those schools, because they actually pay in a lot of federal taxes, they pay Social Security, they pay more than $7 billion a year now into Social Security, for example. They generally pay income tax, but the money doesn't trickle down to the localities. So in a new system, we can arrange some of that a lot better. We can, we can start to deal with the local social service problem. And we can start to deal with some of the integration or assimilation or whatever you want to call them issues. One of the things that bothers these people in Dallas is, are they becoming Americans? And, you know, first, it's pretty hard to become a full-fledged American if you're on the wrong side of the law. So bringing people onto the right side of the law will be the first start to help with that. But we can also start to do things like 
provide English classes and figure out how the government and business could get together to provide English classes. The last thing I want to talk about is a little bit about what's going on in Washington, because that is where I really live and operate now. And, you know, I think if you spend too much time in, in, with the folks in Dallas or just reading the paper, you'd say this is never going to happen. Um, and it's true that it is, it's, a, it's a hard sell in Washington, because the elected representatives hear those people in Dallas. They see the reaction to the Minutemen. They see the anger and the frustration. And their first reaction is to crack down. If you don't know too much about it and you hear people saying, I want control, well, your reaction is to throw more money at the border guards, back to that enforcement-only thing. And it used to be that members of Congress were afraid to deal with immigration. It was another one of those third rails of American politics. Now, I would argue this season, a lot of Republicans are afraid, or even Democrats, are afraid to go back to face the voters without doing something to crack down. So there is a big pressure now, um, and it's not just in border states, to do something tough. But the problem is, what we call in the business call enforcement only, doesn't work. Enforcement only is that more men on the border that isn't going to give us control. So it sounds good. It feels good. These guys are going to feel all tough and be able to go back to the voters and say, you know, I'm a strong man. Um, but it's not going to do anything. It's not going to solve anything. It's basically a de facto amnesty. People are here and we don't do anything about it. Um, we're vulnerable to terrorists. Um, we're winking at the illegality. Um, and all these, this local chaos and the, and, the, and the problems it's generating, it's not going to fix any of that. So it's the easy, quick thing to do. But it's not going to solve it. There's a lot of impulse amongst, especially amongst Republican House members now, to do an enforcement-only thing. And the pushback is from people who say, it's not that we're not going to do enforcement, we are going to do enforcement, but it's not going to be enforcement only, it's going to be enforcement plus. It's going to be enforcement plus change the rules so that we have enforceable rules. And so that's the battle that you're going to see shaping up between the people who want to do just enforcement only and the people who say, yeah, control, but more than control, enforceable rules too. Change the laws in order to enforce them. And Honestly, if it happens fast, it's going to be bad. If we wait till they come back in January, we have better hope that something more, more promising will happen. If the Senate gets to go first and have hearings and mark up a bill and, and have something come out of the Senate, there are a couple bills floating around, McCain, Kennedy, Corn, and Kyle, they'll probably combine them. Something could come out of the Senate in February, March. That would be good because it would give a, a better framework for the House to act in, and it would also give some cover to some of these Republican House members who, are, who are, feel now that they have to do the, the bad, tough thing. Um, so I just want to end by coming back to my people in Dallas, because what was amazing about those people in Dallas is there was a women's group and then there was a men's group, 12 women and then 12 men. First hour in both cases, as I say, was one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. By the second hour in both cases, these groups started to get the idea, we can't send these people home. We need them as workers, we can't send them home. They, they toyed around for about 20 minutes in each case with let's deport them. Really like, and literally somebody said, you know, somebody said, well, won't that take searches and, and a lot of police and, and, you know, draconian measures? Where are we, how are we going to find them? They said, come to my house first. After about 20 minutes, they kind of realized, well, you know, probably not in America in the 21st century. We're probably not going to round up 11 million people and force them to go home. Then they toyed with the idea of, well, maybe we could make life here so miserable. You know, cut off all that welfare, cut off all that free food, um, cut off all the hot 
hospital care, that they would be so unhappy that they would go home by themselves. They thought about that for a while and they realized, well, probably that's not happening either. You know, they have jobs here, they're working here, a lot of them have children here, a lot of them own businesses. I mean, these are these same people who were swearing and, you know, pounding on the table earlier. I mean, it was an amazing moment. And so then we started to ask them, well, what conditions would you put on it to, to let them come in out of the shadows? Guess what? Make sure somebody in the family's working. Well, that's definitely taken care of. Make sure somebody in the family's paying taxes. That's definitely taken care of. Um, let's make sure they're learning English. I think a lot of them would be more than eager to learn English if we provided classes. In New York, there are 10 people waiting in line for every one seat in an English class. Um, let's make sure they get fingerprinted, security, they're willing to come forward, declare they're legal. Well, I mean, this is the answer. This is the, and these are these angry conservative voters who, you know, if, if you asked, if somebody, some talk radio show said, are these people for amnesty, you know, it would be a joke. Well, they are sort of for earned legalization. When they think about it, they get it. But it was after a hard, hour, hour and a half in each case. And so what that says to me is, this is a fight we can win. This is a fight p the American people can get. It is, this is an argument that the American people can get. It's gonna be a hard slog, but ultimately even people like these Texas voters get that there's really only one solution to this, that we need these workers, that this is the reality of the 21st century, that we've got to figure out a way for it to be legal and orderly and legit and not something where it's like criminal syndicates m keeping American business in business. Um, and so I'm hopeful, I think it's doable. Um, I think ours is the only real answer. Um, I think it's not a question of if, but when. You've been listening to a special presentation of Zocalo on Fixing America's Immigration System, an evening with journalist Tamar Jacoby. The Los Angeles Public Library and Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new LA, present this monthly lecture series sponsored by 89.3 KPCC. Special thanks to Semper Law Group, Washington Mutual, the Los Angeles Times, and the Library Foundation of Los Angeles for making this program possible. For more information or to listen to past shows, please visit ZocaloLA.org. Thanks for joining us.